Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Got a full house today, and we're thankful for that. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside, and thank you for coming. Am I on? Am I good? Everybody hear me? Yeah? Awesome. Got a few announcements, and then we'll get going. Um, the community groups this week are canceled. Usually there's one on Monday night in Scotia. That'll be canceled. Also, the Wednesday night one that meets at Pastor Bob's house is also canceled. And the reason is, is we're going to be doing a barbecue in the park. So, Roner Park, everybody is welcome. I'm going to invite a friend, um, maybe somebody that's never been to church before. Feel free to invite them. Um, We're just going to be hanging out and cooking burgers and hot dogs and all that kind of good stuff. Kids are obviously welcome. Not going to be babysitting or anything like that, as we usually have at a community group, but we'll be running around the park and playing and doing all that stuff. So that's at 5 o'clock Wednesday, this Wednesday at Roner Park. There will be meats and all that kind of good stuff. So we'll do some burgers and hot dogs. Um, But your normal community group nights are going to be canceled for this week. Those are the main announcements for today. Um, The Rose family... Uh, the funeral for Dennis Rose was yesterday at the memorial service. Um, he passed away last Sunday, for those of you who do not know. And they are very thankful for everyone's support and prayers. But let's just pray for them, for Jen, for Christopher, for Ty. And um, let's just pray that God would comfort them, that God's presence would be tangible and real and not distant. Um, but I know that uh, several people in this area loved Dennis. And this is a hard time. And so let's just um, pray for them. And I'm continue to pray for them um, as you think about them in the coming, coming months. Sometimes there can be so much support right at the end, and then that can kind of wane. So let's just continue to hold them up in prayer. Um, and I'm remember them. But they are so thankful for your support and prayers. Alan and Naomi. Uh, Naomi had surgery, and I believe it went well, and they are home. Um, they've been driving quite a bit, but things went really well. But let's uh, pray for her um, that um, everything would continue to go well, that there wouldn't be any complications in the healing process, but that she could get back at a normal Also, Diane Van um, has possible tuberculosis. She's being tested for that, but let's um, pray that that comes back negative and for her uh, continued health needs as well. All right, Scripture reading for this morning is um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, 
Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we do come before You. We thank You that You are the sovereign God of all creation. We recognize that You are in control of this world, that You have a design for it. Thank You that one day You will come and put this world to right, that justice will be done, that the curse will be lifted. The new heavens and the new earth are coming where the Lamb dwells. And God, how we need to be reminded of that in times like today, locally, thinking of the Dennis Rose family, the loss of him, the suffering that he went through. And God, it's hard at times um, to deal with suffering, and many of us deal with it on different levels. But we are reminded that you are a God of hope, and that your purposes will not or will, will be accomplished no matter what on the earth. And God, I just pray that you would help Jen and Christopher and Ty to see that, to believe that in the face of cancer and what that does. God, that they would remember that the resurrection of the body is coming and is sure because Jesus is alive and risen from the dead and death has been defeated. And God, may you remind us of that. We thank you that... uh, Salvation is is coming. We thank you that for all of us in this room who trust Jesus Christ, that we are not destined for wrath. God, when we look at this world and the difficulties in it, be it Ferguson, Missouri, be it in Iraq, be it with Ebola, for those who know you, salvation is coming and we will obtain it. We're not destined for wrath, no matter what our circumstances, and I pray that you would Remind us of it, God, that for those who may be depressed and discouraged, that they would be encouraged. We're reminded at the end of this verse, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up. And so we just ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us, that you would lift those who are in darkness today and shine light um, in, in their hearts. Father, we think of Diane Van, and we just ask that uh, there would be no tuberculosis in her body. We thank you that the surgery went well for Naomi. We thank you that they are home and we pray for a continued healing upon her. And we continue to ask for those that are in chronic pain in this room, God, that you would bring healing to their bodies. But I pray that you would, you would, just, you would just help us um, in, this, in this nation. I feel like this last week we've seen a lot of difficult things locally. We look at the news channels God, may we just be reminded of, of who you are. It's so easy to let circumstances and to let the things that we see dictate our emotions, but we, may we be reminded just that salvation is, is coming. 
Thank you, Jesus. Bless this, syrup, uh, bless this service. Um, and Holy Spirit, would you come and help us? In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, giving time. So, get ready. Stay in the same with us, please. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind, there's no one like you, none like you. Into the darkness you shine, out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, into the darkness you shine, out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome in power. Our God. Our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? What could stand against? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any. 
other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God.
So heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss And my heart turns violently inside of my chest And I don't have time to maintain these regrets When I think about the way that He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves Yeah, He loves How He loves us so Oh, how He loves us How He loves us You call me out upon the waters, great unknown female fail. And there I find you in the mysteries, no shine steep, my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name And keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace I am yours, you are mine Your grace abounds in deepest waters Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you never fail and you won't start now. So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, you are mine. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters, wherever you will call me, take me deeper than my feet could ever My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let 
time you walk upon the waters, wherever you will call me, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior, and I will call upon your name. And keep my eyes above the waves. My soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours. You are mine. I will call upon your name. And keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, you are mine. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us today through your Holy Spirit that you would cause us to be able to set all distractions aside and be able to focus and to concentrate and allow you to work in our hearts. We didn't come here just to hear. We've come here to be changed. And we ask that you would do that through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. And no, I didn't lose my long pants. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, my legs weren't cooperating today, and, and, and I, they, as soon as I put uh, every long pants on with my socks and stuff, they swelled, my legs swelled up. I have a neuropathy in my legs, and this time my socks actually left the mark. My socks left the mark. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate your indulging me. Thank you. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses starting with verse 8 this morning, uh, we'll go through to verse 14, the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that you, the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is near to us now, nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Focus this morning will begin at verse 11. We'd covered uh, verses 8 through 10 last week. They, the focus on that being that uh, keeping the commandments and, and, and doing what is right before God is the actual act of simply 
loving the Lord your God first with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But the focus here that Paul has is having entered into that relationship with God, now what happens? You love your neighbor as yourself. And he used the, the he picked out four uh, particular uh, commandments in reference to adultery and murder and, and not to covet and uh, not to steal. But then he said, and any other commandment. So that the idea is, is that if we love one another, we're not going to do those things to each other. And so that's the focus there is, is in that idea of loving one another. The, you kid, I, just, I guess I just want to make sure you have that stage set. To love one another is the issue in the first part of it because he says besides this. In other words, besides knowing that this is what it is, you, you, you know the time. And, I, and I, I'm sitting here, okay, what time is it? You know, you know the time. And he says, basically, you know the time because it's, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up from your sleep. For, you know, and, and why? Because salvation is nearer to us. And I, and I thought, well, it's one of those things. I thought I was saved. And we've talked about this before, but that understanding. There's three pictures of our salvation. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we enter into that relationship of salvation through His grace, through His mercy, through His love. We are saved. It is done. It's past tense in that sense. God who sees the beginning from the end looks at it and sees it accomplished. It's done. However, as long as we are in this flesh, there's another term that comes into the picture. We're working out our salvation. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are driving or striving to move towards Christ in our relationship with Him and our love for Him and our love for one another. And so we're working out our salvation. But here he says our salvation is to come. That's the future tense when it's complete. And we all know it's not complete yet. And I shared yesterday uh, at Dennis's service that, that even Dennis and all the ones that we love that have gone ahead of us are still waiting for a particular event that we will all share together. The rapture, the marriage feast, the entering into eternity, the end of history. We will share that all at one time. And, and, and we're told if anyone is still alive and in Christ at the time that, that that's to occur, in the twinkling of an eye, it, our, our transformation will be made. By the way, a lot of people say, that way, you know, I, I, I just, you know, the rapture would just come while I'm alive, then I'll never die. No. In a twinkling of an eye, what is it? The tent will perish, <laughs> and you will put on your new home in Christ. You, you put on your, your, your new body for eternity. In other words, all of this, this flesh will be gone. It's, it's doomed. It's part of the fall, and it will be gone. And so even in the twinkling of an eye, that transformation happens. And so we, we say, how often do we say, Maranatha, come, come soon, Lord Jesus? I, I don't know about you, but, you know, it seems the, the, the older I get and the more I ache, the more often I say it. Um, and, and I recall, you know, Kathy can remember this, when, when uh, we were getting into raising our daughter, Jessica, uh, our first child, 
I became a Christian, Kathy and I became Christians when she was about 18 months old. And so we started realizing, oh, it's, you know, know, raising a child and keeping them, you know, in the faith and all these kinds of things. We said, well, you know, and and we were in in a church where we were really focused on the idea that the Lord was coming and coming soon. And uh, we said, we're all for it. My daughter, you know, the Lord's going to come before my daughter's a teenager. <laughs> my, my grandson is, gonna, is, is a senior next year. Uh, so obviously I'm not a prophet. But uh, the reality is, is the reason why we're supposed to say, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus, actually has nothing to do with getting out of this world, but realizing, uh, and that's, that is part of it, but to really the focus is to realize that at that point in time, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will get the glory due His name because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We're supposed to be excited about that first and, and, and our transformation, not what we're leaving behind, but what's ahead. And, and so uh, keep that thought in mind, you know, that, that you know, our salvation is to be completed. It's ahead of us and and. Paul is saying here that the day is at hand. Now he's referring, the day here is referring to the second coming. He's saying it's at hand. And a lot of people will say, well, did they think that, that Jesus might come you know, at the same time that you know, Paul was alive? Yeah. They, they thought it was a possibility. Now, Peter made sure we understood that if it didn't happen, not to be surprised, Peter said to God, uh, uh, "A thousand years and a day are synonymous in the sense of, of time." And so, uh, if he tarries, it's because his plan isn't full yet. The last person to, to to come to him hasn't happened yet. And so, if he tarries, don't worry about it. Well, he's, some people might say he's tarried a long time, but the other side of it is is that he is building his church according to his purpose, his plan. He will not miss anybody that belongs there. And so as a result, we wait. And we are allowed to pray, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. But we're looking forward to the day. And the thing that really is the focus here is Paul is saying, wake up, the hour is at hand, you know, and we are to be motivated in our lives by the reality that he could come at any time. Not in a sense of fear, but a sense of urgency. You know, a lot of people say, Bob, why don't you talk about the end times more? It gets us more motivated to go out and to witness. And the bottom line is is that, that it's end times. It's end times for everyone in this room. It's end times for everyone that you know. Every person that you love, it is end times. Their life is going to come to an end. And if the Lord tarries, there will be another generation, but not for them. It is in time. I'm convinced that that's why it's a thief in the night in the sense of we don't know the time or place because we're all to live with that in, idea that it is in time because it is. It is. And so with that motivatingness, it should change the way we look at things. We read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with that idea of, of looking ahead again, coming out of the darkness and into the light, from out of the, the night and into the day is the metaphor that Paul likes to use here. And so he says, you know this. 
Well, what's our response to be knowing that Christ is coming again? And that no matter what, this life as it ends, we will still see him face to face. And it is in times for us. What should be our motivation? What should drive us? To, what should it cause us to want to do? And verse 12 says, uh, to, to cast off the work of darkness. Look at verse 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put off, put on. These are favorite combinations that Paul uses over and over and over again. In fact, we'll frequently see basically that there isn't a put off without a put on. People who simply put stuff off but don't put on Christ's likeness in its place, we, we're missing it. In other words, because I don't do something isn't where it's at. It's replacing that something with something of Christ, something of God, to love one another, you know, this type of thing. And he says there's some specific things that he puts here which kind of, uh, again, are not by any means the limit. Uh, it's just a picture of things. And he says, one of the, as an idea in verse 13, to put off, we're not to put off, you know, put off orgies and drunkenness. Now, I tell you that the, the word orgy has all sorts of immediate connotations. But the idea is really carousing, and even the idea of feasts where drunkenness is the goal. I want you to catch that. It's a combination. That's why it's the not put off the orgies, put off drunkenness. It's put off orgies and drunkenness. And I want you to catch the picture here of, of this idea of, of drunkenness. Uh, one of the, the, the ideas of understanding it is drinking parties. And I was, I was really curious about that, so I actually had to go backwards and do some... And I, I, I should have known this from my Greek and Western civilization studies going back into college and even high school, that the, the Greek god Bacchus, or the Roman god, uh, and that one I wasn't as familiar with, uh, Dionysus, Dionysus, uh, is that they're the gods of wine, of agriculture and wine, but basically the gods of wine. And they would have, in the, in, in the Roman Empire, it was common to have a party and toast to Bacchus. <laughs> again and again and again and again and again. You know, the idea was to, the whole purpose of the party was to get drunk, to get toasted, to get wasted. And it wasn't limited to young people. It was part of the culture. So Paul is pointing out something. He says, you know the parties that are common in your culture? <laughs> that Where you, you go out and you get together and have this huge feast and, and this drunkenness? It's something that as Christians we're not to do. And, of course, with those ideas of, of orgies and drunkenness comes sexual immorality. It's an automatic part of what happens. And so he says, and we're not to, you know, to indulge in or we are to put off 
sexual immorality and sensuality. Sexual immorality is the general idea of promiscuity or sexual perversion, which means anything outside of husband and wife relationship, male and female husband and wife relationship. Period. It's sexual immorality. And, the, and, and, and then he adds, and sensuality. And I thought, aren't they basically the same? And then I realized, no, sensuality is those things that incite Sexual immorality. Sensuality are the things that preoccupy your mind that you might focus on. And I was just, I, I was watching one of those Discovery Channel things on, on the ancient history, and they were unearthing one of the, the places in Rome, and it talked about it. And, and the word grotesque came from the, the drawings on these walls that had to do with, the, with, with pornography that was on the walls of this, this building. And they figured it was a place where they had the orgies and parties for up to drunkenness. And there, here were all the drawings, sensuality, that would be the, by the time that you were drunk and having been looking at these and talking to people and whatever, it would evolve into sexual immorality before the night was over. Now, I looked at all of this in my thought and I said, well, man, you know, Is it, is it that bad today? And, you know, because I, am, I, I have to confess, I am so far removed from that environment at this point in time that I can't honestly answer that question. But I've seen the perimeter in a few places and areas, and I realize that the idea to go out and to party and to get lit is still a goal, to get drunk to the point of, 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 of being out of control is still a goal. Uh, parties are still given with that intent. And as a result, those other issues come to, to, to play. Paul says this is to be put off. And I thought, well, you know, those are things that aren't part of my life, I, you know, I'm okay. But then he says, put off quarreling and jealousy. And I thought, quarreling? Well, you know, Kathy and I don't quarrel much, and I don't really get into too many debates much. Oh, never. Okay. You're sure? No. <laughs> we'll get one going right here. No. Uh, you know, the quarreling, the idea was, is, is you know, I don't, I don't get into arguments, and, and, and I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm, because of the way I was before I was a Christian, I actually avoid those situations now. I didn't before. And, and so as a result, I, I, I don't want to get into arguments. But that really isn't the idea of this word quarreling. I thought it would be you know, getting in angry with each other, and that can be there. But the quarreling was more of debate over unimportant things. And you start to think about how many things do we talk about through the day that, you know, that get, stir us up a little bit that really over the long haul really don't make a difference. You know, especially if we rest in the fact that God is sovereign. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we can get, just even in the framework of this room, we can get at odds in reference to political issues. 
And we could get into, I suppose, what this would be, you know, quarreling. We're not supposed to. Now, does that mean that we don't hold to our, our tenets of faith, the, the core of our value system and the, the things of Scripture? No, but that's not quarreling at that point. That's taking a firm stand. Somebody else will say that's arguing. No, it's just standing on my ground, period. This is who I am. Now, if I'm talking to someone you know, within the framework of the community, uh, we will ultimately end the discussion with an agreement to disagree. I'm not going to beat, try to beat someone into submission uh, to Christ, and, and they're certainly not going to beat me out of my submission to Christ. So it's not, you know, that's not the issue. But this quarreling is simply debating over unimportant things. But within the framework of the, even the church, someone was pointing out in one article that I wrote of this idea of, of quarreling is that we get sidetracked on, in, on, on, on minors, minor issues. And we get you know, so focused on those minor issues that we miss the sense of what we have in common and unity through Christ and our salvation. One of them could easily be uh, where you stand in the sense of end times. Since Paul is talking about it here, you know, do you believe that you know, there's going to be uh, a seven-year you know, time of tribulation? Okay. Some people say absolutely. There's another group that say no, absolutely not. How critical is that in the sense of what we fellowship around, though? That's, that becomes one of those debates where we can talk about it, we should be able to discuss it, even, and even be on opposite sides of the table and walk away and not get into this quarreling part of it. We should be able to agree to, to disagree on that. To speak in tongues, not to speak in tongues. All these issues that we get so sidetracked on. So we're to, we're to, to this idea of quarreling and, and quarreling and jealousy. Uh, and, and, and the idea of jealousy is, is, is simply that idea of, of, of coming to a point where you envy something else uh, in, in your life that, that, that is not yours. Or uh, it can be how somebody is received. You can be jealous of a person in the sense, well, everybody likes that person, or, you know, and, and, and they're angry with me and jealous of what they have, that type of thing. And, I, and the simple definition that I put in there was anger at other success or anger uh, at your own failures, uh, coveting the idea I deserve. I deserve. How often do we hear that, especially in our culture, because of all of our rights? Now, don't get me wrong, I will stand hard on the rights that we have and I will speak in defense of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all the things that go with that in the sense of, of protection, protecting that and, and discussing it. But in reference to what I deserve, I don't want to go there. Because there's only one thing that I deserve from the point that I knew the difference between a moral right and wrong and did wrong. I was guilty before the throne of God in sin and I deserved immediate judgment. 
even though I did not confess him at that point in time as my Savior, he did give me grace. I'm still here. <laughs> so it's not what we deserve. You know, I, 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 and that idea of jealousy gets into that idea of, you know, well, he has that. I, I should have it. And we see a lot of that. And in our culture, we see a lot of it. And I used to think, well, it's because we have such so many temptations of things to have. Yet talking to a, a, a pastor from uh, Sierra Leone in, in, in a number of years ago from Liberia, uh, also, and his comment was, he says, it doesn't matter at what level you are. When you, when, if you're at this level, he says, the fallen human nature is to want the next level. And because that person has it, I should have it too. It's real easy to fall into that trap. But anyway, what Paul is basically saying is we are to put off. And here's like some of the big things that you know, we see you know, going on in our culture that we're to put off and to not to participate in. And, and even the small things that we can look at, we're not to participate in. And basically anything that misses the mark of God's holiness, we're not to participate in. Uh, you can go to, to basically a general description of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. And I'm just going to pull the, the, a couple of key verses, uh, thoughts out of it. In verse 22 it says, put off the old self. That's what I was speaking about before I became a Christian. Before I became a Christian, I had the, the attitude, if you will, that, and it would, as long as I can remember... And that was, no one is going to control me. And my relationship with teachers, my relationship with parents, my relationship uh, even in some cases with employment proved that I had that attitude rather distinctly. And the end result was it was, you know, put a lot of friction between people. Enough so I think I've shared before, you know, my, my one uncle wanted to know at my sister's wedding. Uh, he went up to my stepdad and he wanted to know uh, if, if it was legal or not. Uh, he, at the second wedding, which I did just a few months later, of my cousin, because she was at my sister's wedding, she liked the way it went, she had me do it. My uncle asked my, my, my stepdad, what was I getting out of it? You know, he, he, you know, and then at my dad's funeral, which was just a short, not too long after that, um, my I, and I did my, my stepdad's funeral, my uncle came up and he said, you really believe all this stuff? He could start to see that there was a change. It wasn't the same person. So, you know, this, there's supposed to be something happening. We're, not, we're no longer wanting to put on the things of the world. We're wanting to put on the things of Christ. And that's what Ephesians uh, says also. He says, you know, we're to put on the new self. Put off the old self and put on the new self. The self that's seeking Christ. And we're so busy sometimes trying to, to figure out where the line is that we don't want to slip back into the world. Where, where's the line? I want to make sure I don't cross it and slip back into worldliness. And sometimes we get so preoccupied with that that we lose the, the reality that that's not what we're supposed to be focused. We're supposed to be focused on the cross, on Christ, and on who He is and allow the fact that we have eternal life, that He's coming again to drive our motivations to be more like Him and a stronger witness and a better testimony and, and, and we're not concerned about what's behind us. 
We don't want to be have that person that's just trying to straddle or walk the line as close as we can get. That's, and Paul says that's not the attitude. Put that attitude off and put on the attitude of, of Christ. In fact, that's what he says in verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was trying to, to put together in my mind all the things that that could mean. And, and there's so much that came to, to my thoughts. But in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's certain things that uh, I, I'm putting on that, that become the things that excite me, that motivate me. Let me give you one. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I put on Christ and I strive to seek after Him, I'm reminded over and over again of His grace and His love and His mercy. And in fact, I, wrath, the wrath of God has been set aside. It's something I will not face because Christ faced it for me. Because Christ took it for me. So there's no condemnation. This is, this is When I put on Christ, I get to rest in that. Not just to know it, but I get to rest in it. You know what I'm, I, I'm trying to say? I don't think we always rest in all these promises, all these pictures of what Christ is because we're so busy. I, I, we get distracted by everything that the world is doing and going on around us. And yet when we take time to focus, we can rest with this confidence. There's no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. Not only is there no condemnation, but I can go on all through Romans chapter 8 uh, and, and, and you know, uh, just that, that picture of uh, that you know, we are heirs of God. Verse 17. And, 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 you know, we're children of God. And if we're children of God, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. There's no condemnation, but not only is there no condemnation, but I am actually a joint heir with Jesus. In His inheritance, He's going to share it with me. And, and, when, I, I, and when we're together in the kingdom of God, on the eternal side of things, we will look around and just be amazed. I believe every moment over and over and over again at the awesomeness of what God has done for us and what He has shared with us. And there's so much more. But certainly, the end of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? I love that phrase because there's a lot that we think they should be able to. Satan being the primary. And I always take me, and I've shared this not that long ago, that takes me always back to Zechariah chapter 3 where Jesus is standing with the high priest Joshua and, and, and Joshua is standing there to be judged and Satan is right there next to him. And Satan is there. His, 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 description, his job description is accounted for there. The accuser. And I see Satan there in this sense with his list. And, and it's, it's, 
this. I always have actually a picture of a scroll that he holds up and it just rolls. I have this against Joshua. Or we'll just put me there. I have this against Bob. And by the way, all of those things he knows I did, so he does have those things against me. And the irony, in a sense, is that he never gets to speak. Before he ever gets to say anything, God says on behalf of the high priest Joshua, rebuke you. And he's he's talking to Satan. Rebuke you. Is this not a brand I plucked from the fire? He's mine. We have that confidence. You see, when we put on Christ, we're to put on the promises. We're to put on the confidence. And and if, if we don't dwell on these things, if we don't think about these things, we can't put them on. The more we put on the things of Christ, the more we spend time in there, the less room there is to put on the things of the flesh. And quite candidly, the faster the things of the flesh catch our eye in the sense of no. Before we get too caught up, we actually get convicted faster because we're drawing into Christ. To call this process sanctification, walking in holiness, putting on the armor of light. I love that picture. 1 John chapter 5, or chapter 1, excuse me. Starting with the fifth verse. This is the message we have heard from Him who procl- and we proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. I, you know, the lighting in here was, you know, basically pretty well diffuses the shadows. It's hard, to, you know, the shadows kind of overlap, and and I, and that's fortunate because up here I can see clearly uh, as as I read and stuff. As as crazy as the lighting is, I can look right down here and see it fairly clearly because of the way the lighting is. But and and I can go like this, and because the light comes from different places, I, it's hard to even put a shadow on it to where I can't read it. But just now I did this and I can still get a hint of shadow. There's no hint of shadow there. There's no hint of anything dark in the sense of sin. Not even a hint of it. Not even a... Where, you know, I I think of that point where you miss the mark by a, a millimeter. Not even a millimeter. There's not even... There's not any... It's such a powerful statement. In Him is no darkness at all. When we're to put on the light, when we put on the armor of God, when we put on the armor of light, what we're doing is we're, we're resting in Him and who there is no darkness at all. No hint of sin. No hint of wrong at all. I heard somebody say uh, in a... In a message that I was listening to, uh, I think it was just a couple weeks ago now, but, but uh, a lot of times we think of, uh, of God does this because it's right. And he didn't say anything in particular. He just said, we kind of look at God, you know, God does the things that are right. And then he says, no, wait a minute. The, you know, uh, because 
you know, it, the things are right because God does them. You see the difference? Things are right because God does them because He does nothing wrong. He doesn't do it because it's right. It's right because He does it. I thought that was a really interesting thing to contemplate and to think about for a while. It, it's probably a combination of both with that picture of, you know, whatever God does, it's going to be right. There's no hint of darkness at all. Just a powerful statement. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, and he's writing this to us as believers. You know, he says, if I'm, if I'm leaning more towards my focus on the things of the world and I'm walking at that point more over there than in here, even though I confess Christ, you know, uh, and, and say, you know, I, you know I'm, in, I'm in fellowship with God, yeah, I'm actually lying to myself because while I'm doing all of this, I can't be in fellowship with God. It separates us. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that, if we stopped there, would be catastrophic at one point because I would be sitting there saying, you know, you know, I have sin. What am I going to do? But he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In other words, the, the, even as a believer in this flesh, I'm still a sinner, but my striving to, to move towards him, to be in his light, to put on his light, to rest in him, to rest in the fact that there's no... All the things that we've talked about. When sin interferes and it causes the fellowship to be broken, and I don't mean the fellowship on the internal basis. I mean the day-to-day fellowship where you draw away. Have you ever had a season where you, you haven't prayed for, for a few days or a few, maybe even longer? Because you know what happens? It gets hard because you're embarrassed <laughs> to come back. But but you, you finally you you broke and, and, and you confessed and you come to the Lord and, and and he just he welcomes you like a like a prodigal almost in that sense he welcomes you yeah the whole gift. He's he gives us of our sins as we confess them. He in chapter two it also says he's our lawyer if you will in the sense of, of before the throne of God because of what He's done for us. So put on Christ. And so when we put on Christ, what we're saying is, 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 uh, is the whole picture here, not just a few things that, that you think of or, or think you know to do or not to do, but to put on the peace of Christ, to put on, on the confidence that Christ puts in us through the promises that He's made, the assurance of, of who Christ is for us. And all of this has to do with how we use our time. Again, you know, Paul is, is basically saying to us here, you know the time. And, and, and that thought of that is, is, is knowing the time, and, and it should be motivating us to do this. How do we use our time? And Paul tells us in Ephesians, well, 
you need to use it carefully. Because the days are evil. The days will distract you. You need to be careful as to how you use the time. And I was reading, and uh, this goes back uh, uh, quite a ways, uh, but it's a, a, a little article of, about time written by Richard Dehan. For those of you who are familiar with the Daily Bread have, have read many of his little devotions. Uh, if we had to buy time, would there be any difference in how we would spend it? Would the days of our lives be used more wisely? That's what time management consultant Antonio Herrera asked the participants in a seminar he conducted on the subject. Then Dr. Herrera became more specific. He asked, what if you had to pay in advance $100 an hour for the time allotted to you? Would you waste it? The answer would be obvious. Of course, we can't put a price tag on the minutes and hours we possess. They are given to us freely, but that doesn't excuse us from using them conscientiously, carefully, and wisely. The giver of time is God himself, and the places is, and that places a far greater value upon it than any monetary figure could suggest. We must therefore use our time intelligently, taking advantage of opportunities it provides for us to serve the Lord and to do his will. And up in, a, in another article that followed after that uh, always was the, uh, the idea of carpe diem, seize the day. And initially seize the day was more of, of the picture that, you know, if you will, the initial use of it was more like um, the, the Schlitz commercial of, the, of the, the 60s, grab all the gusto you can. I don't know if you, how many of you would know that one. But the idea was get all, you know, eat, drink, and be merry because you don't know what's going to happen. That's really where the idea of, you know, seize the day really kind of lends itself to that. But today we more think of it in sense of grabbing a hold of it with purpose. Seize the day. And, and we are called in that sense to seize the day with purpose. What is our purpose? To glorify God. It's just that simple. You may have all sorts of other uh, things on your agenda, but your purpose is to glorify God. And are we using our time to do that? Our time with our family, our time with our work, with the time that we have in our play, whatever. The uh, kind of make it full circle here this morning. On a day-to-day basis, I again come back to the reality of how many distractions there are. Life is full of distractions. The needs of the day, the deadlines that need to be met, uh, you know, they become distractions. And you forget to focus. You forget to draw near. It, you know, it doesn't become the fullness of your day. It becomes something that you do rather than who you are. It's, it, oh, yeah, I've got to pray. If I, I'll set my devotional time here. There's nothing wrong with that one. To do that, that's good. But the whole day belongs to him. Not the first five minutes or the first 20 minutes or whatever. And again, when is he coming? Well, for me, he's coming in my lifetime. I don't get a second lifetime. So I'm already in end times for me. And I, like I said, end times for you. 
I was thinking of this as applied to communion. And communion is a time where we remember what Christ has done. And we are instructed to remember that He's coming again because we are to do communion, to share in communion how often as in, or in how long in the sense of the season until He what? Comes again. In fact, He's made that promise that He's not going to drink the wine or eat the bread until that time where He returns. I believe that is, again, the picture of the marriage feast in the sky. It's called but the marriage feast of the rapture and all of that together where we share it together. And, and so he's, he, what he has done, what he is going to yet do, we celebrate at communion. And these are kind of, if you will, the essentials of, our, of, our, of our, our life in Christ. But I was thinking in the sense of, of seizing the day, it just, applied, it just made me think it this way, and since I had been thinking about that, on the day of his crucifixion, he seized the day. He was in absolute control of that day. He took it and made it what it was. He took it in and, and caused it to be. When, when, when Pilate says, I'm in control, basically Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase and put it to the simplest term. No, you're not. My father is. You don't have any authority except what's been given to you. And to take my life has not been given to you. Except by my submission. In other words, I'm control of that. And so he seized the day and he seized it by giving himself in love. And that took me right back to what we started with in chapter 13 here. Maybe that's the simplest way to look at it. We are to seize the day by giving ourselves in love, in Christ's love to those that are around us. I realize how complicated I made this even while I was preaching it. It's really that simple. We are called to be in a sacrificial love relationship with the body of Christ, with our husbands, with our wives, with with our children. We're we're caused to be in, in this agape, sacrificial, you first love. God, well, actually, God first love. The other person second, I'm third. When we're outside of Christ, it's me first. Period. That's the fallen flesh. You can't get away from it. That is it. It's me first. But in Christ, it's God first, the other person second. Not because of what I can get out of it, what my uncle figured for me because of my past, but because it's what we do sacrificially with nothing in return. That doesn't matter. Christ died on the cross he loved us first before we, he loved us before we loved him. Romans chapter five. Gave his love sacrificially. So again, I put it here: believers, carpe diem. Come, deny yourself. Put off. Take up his cross. Die to self. Follow me. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the way you put it? 
you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross. And when we follow him, we, we're, we're saying, I, I want to walk in his footsteps. I'm putting him on. So put off the thing, you know, deny yourself, put off the things of the world, and put on Jesus Christ. So even today, we can seize the day here in the sense of saying, God, I surrender. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. If whatever is lacking in that in my life, Lord, I submit it to you and ask for you to mature me and to grow me further past that point. But Lord, I also know to love my brother as myself. Whatever I'm lacking in that, Lord, I submit it to you and ask you to grow me in that area. I want to seize the day, the rest of this day, in love for my wife. I'm thinking right right away, the first thing I'll be challenged with is my grandson. My 17-year-old grandson and my 13-year-old grandson. (laughs) Because they're both at my house. They just got home from their vacation with their dad. And I'm willing to bet they're going to spend the night So, but there's some challenges in the midst of that. And so I just want to bring communion to you in that sense of, of, of commitment and, and, and thinking and thought as we go in to share it together. Uh, ask the ushers to come and pass the communion out. 